There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. David Campbell is very popular and he's multi-talented. Yes, he's one of those guys. He has a busy home life and a very busy work schedule. He's got a bunch of kids at home and a beautiful wife, Lisa, and then he fronts up to work to host Today Extra on Channel 9, sometimes filling in for Carl on the Today Show, and you've probably seen him hosting one of one billion shows that he's been the face of, including the amazing Christmas Eve carols by Candlelight. Not only that, though, this man can sing a show tune and he is heavily invested in the cabaret scene in Australia. You may also know his dad, Jimmy Barnes. I first met David Campbell when I got my gig on MTV in 2004 and he was hosting VH1. We used to call that the poor man's MTV because VH1 was like that more sort of refined, a little bit more mature music television station. Well, David was hosting that and I was sitting in the hot seat at MTV. That's kind of where we met. And from there, it's been almost 20 years of circling in and out of each other's worlds in media. From drunk to very drunk and now completely sober. And this reconnection is one that I was super excited about. Please enjoy Last Drinks with the multi-talented and absolutely fabulous David Campbell. Is that better? (laughs) Mate, that is so perfect. Great. Yes. No worries. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to talk to you about your story and I thoroughly, thoroughly appreciate it. Just you in general as a human. You're wonderful. I know, but, you know, we've, we've been around a few times, you and I, and I think yes. it's great to talk to you about it too. So, yeah, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Well, David Campbell, can we start our conversation with you telling me about your last drink, if you remember it? Oh, I remember it. Oh, it was a light night, and that was the thing that was so extraordinary about my last drink. Um, it's it's such a showbiz wanky story, but I'll take it back a bit. <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, I... Uh, I was working on Today Extra. It was mornings at the time. I think it was called mornings. And there was a big hullabaloo because Dan Aykroyd was coming to town. Oh, gosh. And so, oh, okay, great. And so Dan Aykroyd was coming. He was a Ghostbuster and he and they were like, he wants to perform a song. And I was okay. like, will you do a song with me? And it was like all this whole thing. I got to sing with him. But it was all over Crystal Head Vodka. I know it so well. It's the, <clears> the, the skull with the vodka in it. Yes, because that's his. That was exactly that was or is or at the time definitely was his, one of his things. Absolutely. So and then there was a, an event that week, and we all got signed Crystal Head vodkas from Dan and um, my son Leo was very young at the time. At the end of that week, Lisa and I booked our first uh, holiday for a long time. We were going to go to Broome, but on the Friday night, 
after that week. And you feel, well, I was feeling pretty full, pretty full of myself. <laughs> feel pretty like, you know, a cup was full. And Lisa and I are like, hey, should we watch Ghostbusters and have some Crystal Head? Wouldn't that be the right universal is telling me that's what we should do? It's I'm what like, Dan Aykroyd would have wanted. <laughs> it's what the aliens would want because uh, he's a big UFO nut. And so we're like, okay, so let's, let's, so we were just watching Ghostbusters, having a great time, drinking some Crystal Head vodka, did not get, to my knowledge, did not get like drunk, drunk. And I'd have asked Lisa this and she says, no, we weren't that drunk, but we'd had a few. And I remember going, this is quite good. And going to bed to get up for the flight the next day. And Lisa getting out of bed, Leo being up early because he was young and me getting out of bed and going, oh, I'm not good at all. And then being quite ill and having to go to the airport. And Lisa's like trying to like, we bought, we upgraded on points because I thought I wouldn't get on the plane. I thought this is like, it was bad, 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 bad. And I'm like, why is this so bad? What is going on? And I can't remember where it was said, but it was either at home or on the plane. And I was trying, I had my eyes closed and I heard Leo say, oh, dad's not well. And that was it. That's it. I'd almost ruined our holiday by doing oh. it. I'd almost not got us to the plane. I drank a lot in my time, uh, you know, that's pretty obvious, but mm. it was the knowledge of my son, who he would have been three, the knowledge of him recognizing that now something has happened and dad's not well. And we'd heard this growing up. A lot of us grew up with parents who drink and it's like, oh, mum's mum's had a bad night or dad's had a bad night. Yeah, or, mum's yeah. got another migraine. <laughs> <laughs> Why is dad out in the backyard lying down? Why is that anyway, recycling so, bin full again? Like, Yeah, exactly. What? Yeah, um, yeah. And that sort of thing mm. was like something that I grew up around and I did not want to perpetuate that myth because I remember thinking... I'm putting it all together going, this is why I drink. And this is why I binge drink or drink to excess or uh, drink like it's a competition or, you know, because of my father being on the cultures poster holding up a, a bottle of vodka. Totally. Know, and everyone cheering that on. Or because I had other members of my other family in Adelaide who drinking and that cycle of abuse and was something that they were stuck in, mm. um, that... The thought of passing that on to a generation that I supposedly loved and cared about more than anything else in the world yeah. seemed reckless to me. And we got to Broome, we landed, it was a beautiful day. We went to lunch and Leo sort of, you know, as toddlers tend to do, they sit at the table and then they wander off. And I looked at Lisa and I said, I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. And she said, really? I said, you can do whatever you want, mm. but I'm out. And the fact that it wasn't a bender was really interesting to me. So maybe that helped me be aware and cognizant of Leo saying something or me noticing how embarrassed I was. Mm. But that was the moment. I mean, prior to that, I was getting very bored of it. Um, yeah. And it wasn't really thrilling me anymore. Maybe I'd hit the serotonin ceiling of drinking or something, but it was I was done. And And that was the defining moment for me. So up until that moment, had you thought about stopping? Had you tried? You're Mr. Showbiz. So mm. I feel like 
drinking goes hand in hand with being in the industry. It's part of your identity. It's how we engage Mm -hmm. with each other. It's very much encouraged as it's it's like a currency in media. So you're Mr. Showbiz and up until this moment had you gone, ah, maybe I should give this a rest. You know, this is getting boring. Or did it take that moment for you to just, for the colour to drain out of your face and go, oh, dear, this is not good now? Um, I think the defining moment was that. Yeah. But up until then I had really noticed and you're right, you and I have been at those parties together where it's almost like, uh, that's what I was going to say, it's like a challenge. Like we it's people challenging and, and egging each other on so to get dumb. more and more drunk. Yeah. Which you look back and go, how the hell are people getting stuff done? And, and you know, in the <laughs> industry, like, you know, jobs? you go to a, you do a gig and they give you a ride or a free booze. Yeah. And you then a champagne the bottle for, for a good job, you know. It's like. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. And every night of the week, if you go through a. I had a wonderful purple patch with releasing music stuff where all of a sudden it started to go really well. Mm. You're celebrating three or four nights of the week. Then you're doing gigs and you're celebrating with other people or you're doing events, you're celebrating with them. But about a year and a half or two years before I stopped, I noticed that I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And, you know, in America, a lot of people in the industry are sober. Mm. And they talk about it. And I was really – this is so this is, what, eight, nine years ago. Podcasts for me were still quite new. Not every man and his dog had one, and uh, I was <laughs> listening to a lot of uh, excluded. <laughs> yeah, but a lot, but you know, a lot of them were like Mark Maron. I was getting to that, and they all talked about their sobriety a lot. So, mm. I sat with my therapist at the time, and I mentioned to her, I said, you know, I feel like I'm hearing or I'm being signposted uh, sobriety a lot. It was coming up a lot, like mm. the people that I was looking up to and admiring about how they dealt with show business and navigating the next gen- next level through it was sober and Mm. I didn't consider myself somebody who had an out and out problem um but it could be problematic at times sure um I didn't I thought well maybe that's something I should consider so I'd spoken about it openly with my therapist quite a few times before I actually stopped so it was being it was being shown to me before I did it that's so interesting that you caught that because I do think, and I'm quoting from one of my favourite humans, Oprah Winfrey, when I say this, DC, um, <laughs> but she talks a lot about the universe talks to us in whispers and so you you use the terminology signposted, which I really think is good too. It's like <laughs> something's coming up. I keep seeing the sobriety stuff. Like this is, come, this is popping up here and someone mentioned this sober thing here and did you know that person doesn't drink? And so it's like the universe talks to us in whispers and if we don't listen to the whisper, it just keeps getting louder and louder until the whole goddamn wall caves in on us. Yeah. And so interesting that, you know, 18 months prior to you going, I'm done, you noted, like you, you were tapped in somehow, somewhere into where whoever was leading who, I don't know if we lead the universe or the universe leads mm. us or, you know, or if it, it's a mix of both or a mess of both. But that's yep. really interesting. And so then why were you in therapy? <laughs> why not? I yeah. think everyone should do therapy. I but, agree. Um, I, was, I was in therapy 
Uh, I've done therapy off and on a lot over the years with different therapists um, and to different degrees of success um, to deal with just my past and my father and dealing with that, um, yeah. who I am as a person, um, childhood traumas that I saw and experienced mm. that I was carrying on. So you're dealing with that in therapy. Um, Lisa and I did couples therapy in the first year we were together to sort of manage the pressure of her being out from England and, and us being together and wanting to make it work. And yeah. to do simple things like, we learned things like how to fight, how to yes. fight in a mature way where yeah. you're not actually just yelling at each other, where you're going, you're listening. Mm. And then what we, like, if we fight now, it's a rare occurrence. Like mm. what we learned from therapy was so important. That's but awesome. during that therapy session as couples, we were doing it and Lisa's like, well, I think we're doing really well. And the therapist was like, I think you guys are doing great. You don't need to come anymore. And I'm like, oh. Can I, I still keep come? <laughs> Can I still come? So great. I just kept going. That's great. Um, yeah, and I, I loved it. I've connected with this therapist really well and I see her every couple of years. I'm probably due to go see her again soon just to have a, a you know, a tune-up. Yes. Um, but the, she was really great with how to deal with a lot of my negative self-talk, my self-worth issues, um, yeah, how I really manage my own mental health. She was very, very she keyed into it and i don't know if it's because she was a bit older than me so she had a motherly figure i don't know mm. what it was but it was i think everyone should do therapy even for a short period of time just to get some tools i totally agree with you and it's so interesting that you talk about you potentially having some mental health stuff or some self-worth mm. stuff because as an outsider looking inmate no one would have any idea because sure. you're like as i said you're mr showbiz you dc like you, your jazz hands and, and, and amazing pipes. Do you know what I mean? Like you're so shiny. And it, it's just, yeah. again, this is why I love these conversations because it's about being real and vulnerable and we all have our stuff. And there's no one exempt from stuff. It does not discriminate. Stuff comes up for everyone in different ways. And sobriety for me is like the superpower that I found to, that gave me the access to all the stuff I needed to deal with. Because what I was doing was I was drinking to deal with my stuff. And uh -huh, it didn't work. I hear you. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. And at some point it did work until it didn't work. And when it yeah. doesn't work or when you see, you know, I always say that my sign is like a piece of my heart running on the outside of my body. When that little person looks at you and says, you know, dad's sick, of course you pull up stumps. Mm -hmm. So from that moment... Like, you know, I, I don't want to call that a rock bottom necessarily, but that's No, that's but a, we should talk moment. about that because I, yes. I did a, a thing uh, for rethinking addiction. I, I spoke at the, uh, they had a, a convention down and they're doing really important work in a lot of different areas about how we talk about addiction and trying to get funding on a federal level to discuss this problem because yeah. it is to do with mental health, it is to do with abuse, it is to do with trauma, it is to do with PTSD and all of the stuff we need to talk about. But one of the things that I discovered when I was writing this speech is that we need to rethink rock bottom mm. and we need to think about why we allow people to go to the fucking pits yeah. and go, there you go, now you know how it feels to feel like shit. Do you want to come out now? Yeah. As opposed to my rock bottom wasn't rock bottom. Exactly. I probably had it several times before then Yeah. and just continued on mm. because as humans, as you know, Chumbawamba says, you get back down, you get back up again. So <laughs> That's a direct uh, you quote. Know, 
That's a, yeah, my kids are into Chumbawamba at the moment. Yeah, but, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that we, we need to actually rethink how we yeah. look at these things and how as a society we judge people hitting rock bottom because it mm. makes us feel better because they're so low. But actually we can allow people the grace of getting out sooner. Absolutely. We can allow people the grace going like, oh, I, I'm, something's going wrong and I need more help. And it's more layered and nuanced than that. So I think rethinking those things is really important. And that's only something I learnt quite recently in Canberra speaking at this event and hearing other people talking about their journeys and what it is. I'm like, we are on such a spectrum of addiction and mental health in this country. Mm. And we're on such a steep learning curve. It is refreshing to, to be a part of the space and be in it, yeah. but also to see everyone else guiding themselves through it, including younger generations who are doing much better, I think, than we are at it. Oh, 100%. Because I think the younger generations have, have looked at how we all carried on in the industry and they were like, oh, we're not going to be that foolish. You Absolutely. know, l let's do better. And it's yeah. a good point on the rock bottom, DC, because I, it, I've had so many wonderful chats on this podcast and everyone's moment, like turning point catalyst is different. And some of them aren't. It's not leaving Las Vegas all the time. In fact, most of the time it's not leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Some of the time it's just... I woke up and I went, I want to do better. So I am going to make yes. a different choice. And I think the reason why, it's probably the way I think movies have glamorised the drinking culture and, like you know, that storyline of unless you're drinking out of a paper bag and you've got, you know, an overgrown beard and, and no house and no shoes, you're not at your rock bottom. But I think that the idea of a rock bottom gives anyone – questioning their relationship with alcohol permission to keep going in that direction because it's not yeah. bad enough yet. And so yes. we, we do this thing where we're like, well, I'm not as drunk as Lucy was, so yep. so then I must be okay because somebody else is worse off than me and that's not a great place to figure out where you're at. <laughs> no, because it's messed up because you're judging that other person, first of all, so you're not there to help them. Mm. You're not there to help the Lucys of this world. Poor Lucy. Oh, sorry, if you're Lucy. a Lucy and you're listening, mate, we're so sorry. I agree that the rock bottom is not like, I think we've got to, yeah, we've got to reframe how we think it because it's not like a place. You know, you think of rock bottom as like the worst possible place, but I think sometimes... Not necessarily just addiction, but like an alcohol use disorder or, or whatever, whatever purpose it's serving for you. It can be so desperate that you'll like dig a hole through the concrete floor to keep going. You know what I mean? Like there's no, and that's why I think it's so interesting that for you, you had this moment of realisation, not on the biggest night ever, you know, like not, and you, I'm sure you've had way bigger nights than a couple of bodies with the wifey at home. Absolutely. And, and you've probably been way more hungover than you were rocking up to the airport, you know, to catch yes. the flight. But it's the, it's what it, whenever that moment shows up for you, if you're willing to engage with it, can be not the rock bottom but the turning point or the line in the sand even where you go, okay, I'm not doing this. So did you just flat out just holiday and broom, no drinks? Yeah, because I, because I didn't have to detox, I don't think. Because yeah. I, it was more of a... A mental thing for me than it was like oh now I'm gonna have to you know and that's where I think I'm whatever my genetics are I think I'm really lucky with that because um, I think if I had if I'd had that level of addiction that would have been much tougher for me I think um, and and it would have impacted a holiday and therefore a moment in my life but um, so I'm I'm grateful that I didn't have that um, 
It was about then, and you'll know this, your first award show and how people perceive you after that. When you enter sobriety and you choose sobriety mm. and you should be vocal and public about it, at least, I mean, not public, public, if you don't want to, but with your friends and family. And unfortunately, mm. our friends and family are the industry. <laughs> um, I always think uh, when people said, when I went to the first Logies, people were like, what do you mean you don't drink? Well, what about just a toast to celebrate? I'm like, I'll just have sparkling water. That's mm. what sobriety is. And people are so, possibly because of how outward I was with my drinking and, and how part of it, my culture it was. Mm. But people were so like, well, I, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to hang with you. I'm like, well, then you don't have to hang with me. That's fine. I'll be over here in the corner. And I, I remember it was like the first Logies is like a really quiet time where you just sort of with just a few people. And yeah. by now, if I go to an event like that now, I have a squad of people like, yeah. can I hang with you, DC, because I'm not drinking tonight. I'm like, absolutely, man, come hang. Love that. You know, and you, you yeah. form more and more people who – yeah, and I'm seeing more and more people in our, in our industry now that are either reformed or are choosing sobriety for periods of time or, you know, they'll, they'll get through something like dry July, October, and like, I feel really good. I'm like, yeah, so are you just going to go right back to drinking exactly. again? Exactly, yeah. And I, you know, and I don't mean it to be confrontational. I'm just like, just think about how that makes you feel and hold on to that for a little bit longer mm. and try and push that out a bit further and see how that feels because – you know, a lot of us don't have healthy relationships with our substances. It's just the way it is. We're humans. Yeah. Why would we? Yeah. And it, and alcohol is highly addictive. So, like, I love Absolutely. how, you know, the labelling on alcohol is like drink responsibly. So it's all, all the pressure's on us. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, here's a drink that will more than likely make you act irresponsibly with enough of it in your system. But drink it responsibly. Like, it's so frustrating that that's... You know, all the pushback is on the person. Like, you know, I think big alcohol at some point needs to take some accountability. But back to... Like big tobacco did, absolutely. And, and it, I think, I definitely think alcohol is that next industry that's going to have to come under reform and there will be labelling at some point. It's, I think there's yeah. too much research now, you know, just showing data and stats on... It's an A1 carcinogen, guys. It causes cancer. We need to put that yeah, on the bottle. exactly. Right? Like, let's be real here. But did you get any pushback... When you, and maybe it wasn't until you got to that first big award show, but pushback from people in the industry who used to be your drinking buddies. And, and I guess, how did you handle that? Because I think that is a real fear for people thinking about, you know, being sober that they might, it was certainly was for me. I was like, I'm not going to have any friends, <laughs> and which is a myth. Um, and it's, I, it's not actually true. It definitely true. streamlines your friends. I hear what you say. Mm. It definitely streamlines your friends. Um, mm. You know, it makes, it, it forces friends to, front up for you it forces them to be like well that's okay i won't drink tonight either or knowing that you know I, i'm like i said my my personality and my addiction was always like even with lisa when I th she's now sober too but she was sober she went sober a month after i went sober because she's like well this is just a waste of time let's do this together and she went through her own therapy on that and i don't want to speak too much for her but you know we we now do it together and we that buddy system works for us and it was amazing yeah but you know, the, you know, my friends will come over and I'll be like, yeah, bring wine, bring champagne, or I'll provide booze for people if we have a party. It's not like I'm a dry house, you mm. know, but I'm lucky that way because I know I'm not going to slip. I know I was never at yeah. that level of addiction. Um, so I didn't have to lose all of my friends, but you certainly do streamline friends. And and mm. I laugh. I mean, we have a friend of ours who's a very famous uh, drag performer and a really awesome person that we're still very close to. 
and he'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, I miss you two drinking. <laughs> and then we'd be like, we had a good time. We had a good time. I get yeah. it. And thank you for saying that, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't feel bad about it, you know. But I, yeah. I, I honestly do consider myself one of the luckiest ones. You know, I lost a friend to um, mental health issues and addiction a few years ago. Mm. And what he was hiding, like, mm. when it happened, it was such a shock to us. And the more we found out post losing him, um, the more we found out like how deeply troubling it, it was and what he was hiding, not just with booze, but so many other things. And it was like, wow. oh, mate, why didn't you ever reach out? And why didn't you call me or, you know, but, yeah. you know, everyone has their own journey, you know, so I yeah. know how far it can go. And is that one thing that drives you, you know, you being vocal in this space is these conversations can potentially help somebody not get to that place that your friend got to? They can and they do save lives, mm. you know, and it's as simple as that. They do, it does save lives because I know it's a, it, it helped stop me, yeah. you know, listen to Mark Maron or, you know, some other American person talking all every week about their sobriety with mm. superstars and then those superstars relating to that. I was like, yeah, mm. wow, why am I doing this? And it made me, it just sat in my brain and ruminated and ruminated and that's, um, you know, so if this does help one person, then that's really great. If this doesn't, that's also the journey. You know, yeah, uh, it's totally. best to, it's best for you and I to talk about it. So it's good for us. And but I know, by from a fact. So when I went mm. sober, um, and I confessed about it, it was God bless him. It was when Warney was still alive, and he did uh, something at the cricket, and he was, he was talking about. Um, he was talking about like, I go, we're all going to drink tonight. We're going to drink tonight. We're going to drink tonight. And I, because it was still so new to me, and I, and I don't blame him at all, and um, he didn't mean it. I, I said, I really hate that mentality that we all do in sports and in entertainment. I hate that, that we just say, your reward is to get smashed. Yeah. What are we telling kids that? And I don't mean that as a slight to Warney or his family. He was a legend. He was a great guy. Absolutely. Um, uh, that was not meant to be any disrespect to him. It was just a moment in time that I then went public on television about my sobriety. And I cannot tell you, I then wrote an article and the amount of men my age, the amount of women my age who were either eight, eight years sober, two weeks sober, um, or people reaching out to me saying, help me, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, like it was hundreds. It was more than any other reaction of anything else I've done. It was hundreds and hundreds of people. There, There is a, a community that is getting bigger and bigger in Australia because we're all realising a lot of us were brought up under people who drank too much, people who had PTSD, people who didn't talk about their pain, people who, didn't, who were raised by people with trauma, who then numbed themselves by drinking and handed that down to them. And they are constantly uh, talking about it now, but realising that they are trapped by what they've been latched onto, which is mm. either a bottle or something else, and they cannot get out of it. Mm. And that's, so it helped me and I know that it helped a lot of people, me talking about it. So, so yes, good. being vocal helps. Yeah. And so what do you hope for your kids? You know, you've got a house full of children <laughs> yeah. and they are not going to see you and your wife drink alcohol. Yeah. But they live in a world, maybe not when, you know, maybe not when they're late teens, but right now they live in a world where alcohol is really normalised and bars and clubs are where you hang out with your mates. So how do you navigate that? Have you thought about that? Yeah, um... Modeling good behavior, I think, is the best way to do it as a parent. It's yeah. the most control you can have is controlling your own behavior and showing 
because kids listen, they learn, they watch your silent cues, they watch more than they might watch your loud cues. Mm. You know, you know, because I bark at my kids, get in the car, hurry up, and <laughs> they are now. I've numbed, and I like the fact they're numbed to those cues because mm. there's a lot of them, and I have to corral them. But I know they watch the silent cues and they pick up on my behaviours, uh, and I think that's what children do intuitively. I don't know how they will react to this. Mm. I hope they choose moderation. Like, I hope they realise that sobriety is awesome and I certainly think working in the industry, which is getting more and more focused on how we treat each other and how we deal with alcohol in the industry is at a much different level than you and I ever saw. Mm. So I think by the time that they choose this industry or any industry, it'll be even more of a sobriety in industry. Um, but I just think they're friends. And, you know, I see teenagers now that choosing not to do it at all. Yeah. You know, that's a really big trend. Yeah, it is. I don't know what that says to big alcohol, but for me, that's really heartening. For me, that says, like, we are evening the playing field, that people yeah. are choosing their health, their body, their fitness, their mental health over a quick thrill on the weekend and going yeah. to a club or a festival and getting smashed. They're also choosing being in each other's company and being happy, which I think is really important. Being mm. mindful of like, they're feeling happy about it. I think that's great. Yeah, I did too. And like my my little one, so Henry's three and a half and cause I do, you know, God, I think about this all the time. Cause I'm just like, you're a piece of me. <laughs> like you're me and I know me. So like- Does he have your genes and what does that mean? So many questions, right? So many terrifying questions. <laughs> But at this stage of the game, he wants to be a fire helicopter pilot. And I'm like, oh, well, you'll be fine because you won't be able to drink. So <laughs> you can't be a hero and drink alcohol. So he'll be fine. You got that. <laughs> but also that's such a specific thing for a three and a half year old to want to be is a fire helicopter pilot. That's great. Good for him. We need him. <laughs> we need more heroes like him. Oh. Yeah. And I wonder with the genetic thing, I wonder because, you know, I think about it with my dad and the addiction in our family about like how, how how much it's shaped his life and career mm. and how much he's talked about in the last few books and whether that gets passed on to another generation and will it be worse for them. But I think with the lessons I've learned, I'll be better off to help them if they do have problems. Totally. Know? And um, and so I'm sort of grateful for my sobriety because of that. And Lisa is too, that we have that. But look, we're vegans too and we don't, you know, my kids eat meat. Right. Uh, you know, they'll have hamburgers. They'll, I make them ham sandwiches. You know, it's not a religion for me. I don't, I don't partake in the fact that you, you need to enforce things on your children. I think, and I'm certainly not hands off either. I'm very disciplined with my kids, um, but I think that those choices they make about religion or faith or you know meat or how they want to do with booze in the world. You know, I will obviously warn them and give them my strong advice on things. Totally. But they're going to make those decisions anyway. They're going to be teenagers sooner or later. I know. It's terrifying. Is terrifying. It, parenting is just like this, like, slow release of just letting go. <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. hard. <laughs> well, like, it's learning to, it's learning to, from the minute they are born, learning to deal with the fact that this person's going to leave you. They're going to leave. And, and I guess like as parents, you just go, I just want to make sure you're going to do great. And I don't mean great as in be successful or, you know, overly wealthy. I mean, I want you to be a content, good, authentic, true, healthy Same. human 
that contributes to society, that lights up a room when you walk in it, that leaves people feeling awesome. That's what I mean by great. And if we can, and I wouldn't want, I don't think I would want that for me if I wasn't sober because I couldn't articulate that that's what I wanted in life when I was drinking my feelings away and, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome. And I mean, I only recently realised when I was reflecting, I'm writing a book about this all at the moment. And, you know, that's therapy if you ever need an extra therapy box ticked holy smokes <laughs> like, <laughs> writing out some yeah. of the big stories and then rereading them going <gasps> and I realized that I was more terrified of succeeding than failing which is so crazy because mm-hmm. we hear about a fear of failure and fail fast and it's a stepping stone to success and so I was excellent at failing when I absolutely kicked ass in my career I couldn't deal with it. I was like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. And there's no, like, end point on success. It just keeps going in one way or the other. And then then I – running behind me up the back is the other fear that I'm going to lose my job and get replaced by Rovan Sam or whoever, you know, like – and it's just crazy to reflect on all of that stuff. But, again, there's none of that reflection without a clear head – and a clear brain. And like, this is my eighth year nearly in sobriety and I'm still unpacking the benefits and I'm still unpacking the trauma, you know? Yeah. It's pretty And wild. I think that's up there. It's really important. You know, I was at my son's school. He's transitioning to high school next year. And what was really interesting that a lot of the stuff the teachers were saying once the kids left, they were talking about the structure of the school for year seven and how they're going to, like year seven now, it's considered a transition year in a lot of high schools. Yeah, right. So where kids are not like just get, they'll learn everything, like whatever they want. They'll have 12 lessons, 12 different teachers. But the predominant thing they have every day from their first day at year seven to the end is the same group which they go to a tutor and that's a person that's like a well-being person. Wow. And what they're finding now is that more and more studies are saying that our kids, yours and my kids, um, it's about not about results of the HSC, it's about the well-being of the student. Because mm-hmm. if you have a student that has good well-being, then the results won't matter because they'll have good results. Understood. It's not about like making these little, they must be CEOs and they must conform into this. No, if you mm-hmm. make them happy, they'll find their own path and then they'll be really successful at that path. And what you're talking about, that internal happiness is not chasing some external desire that society's put on you. Mm-hmm. That's what fucked up you and I. But it's actually <laughs> going to come from within where they can just mm-hmm. create their own happiness and their own level of success is up to them yeah and and i i kind of wanted to say as well and and i do mean this because you know you and i have cycled around a few times in our careers drunk and sober but i'm so sorry i didn't see your trauma and recognize it and i'm sorry for what you went through and i i hope that other people in the industry say that as well or have said that to you because it's really important. You are a good person. You've always been who you are. You've always been really terrific and you've always been a good person. And I'm so sorry I didn't recognize it because of my own shit. You didn't have to say that, but thank you. No, I don't, but it's true. That means a lot. That means a lot. Now, knowing this industry, you deserve about 200 more fucking apologies, <laughs> but let me count for 100 of them. Mate, that's, yeah. Thank you so much for saying that, DC. But and you're doing good work. And the fact you're writing a book and doing this sort of stuff and you are so therapeutic and so in touch with it, it's so important. Thank Keep you. Keep going. I just, 
I just can't let anyone else go through what I went through unnecessarily. That's why I'm doing this. And as a woman too. I, I mean, can't, so I can't, good. I can't let it, you know, like, and I think that's why it's, it's so weird in a way. Like I've always, I'm a really passionate person, but for me, it's like sobriety isn't just my passion. It's my purpose now. I'm like, this work, this for me is like the heart work. It's, it's hard work, but it's the heart work and it's what lights me up. And I just, I get stressed out when I think about what might have happened if I didn't have that come to Jesus moment and decide, not actually come to Jesus. I mean, like, I know what you mean. Come to Jesus moment and just decide to get my shit together because there was no one else looking out for me. And so, in a way, I'm, I'm, I've always been really protective of, I don't know, I feel like I've always just had to like do it on my own two feet. But to hear you acknowledge that, um, yeah, like we have circled around and nobody, it was nobody's business either, DC. I didn't tell oh. anyone that I was broken and going through stuff and, you know, no. dealing with a divorce. Like there's so much stuff. Um, but I, I do thank you so much for saying that. It's, that really does, it really, really means a lot. And, I'm and you've had to navigate it as a woman. I mean, I, I navigated it as an entitled cisgendered white guy in Australia. I mean, life's you know? hard for I the mean, white guys, fuck. mate. <laughs> I know. I mean, uh, it's you know, we, we had a good run. But uh, yeah. I also think we have a lot of fucking apologising to do and we yeah. have a lot of fucking work to do to make it up. And a lot of a lot of that work is opening doors and making spaces for people and stop being such dicks and just getting out the way, you know. And, um, you know, I, I – but anyway, I, I, I'm so glad I got to say that to you because, um, you. you know, I, I, I do see you. I see your work. Thanks, mate. That's – you've really rocked me. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to no, rock you. No, no, in, in a really, like, in a really, in a really amazing and beautiful way that I wasn't expecting. It's that's not often that I'm usually quite good at keeping my <laughs> my game face on, and you know, you know what it's like. Like, oh, I know you. You I have know how good game face. I've been zipping it up for years, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's nice to not have to, and it's actually nice to be in this space where I can actually just have a moment and just take that in and, and say thank you. That means the world. Oh, pleasure, mate. Oh, what a just delightful human being you become from that rat bag shithead that I knew. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. Oh, I know. It's so true. I'm so grateful at, at having a chance of growing. Yeah. And still being in an industry that I love. Mm. And when you say that, like, I'm Mr. Showbiz and stuff, that's not fake. I actually, I fucking love it. It's still in your matters. bones. I love it. I'm it's a in nerd. Yeah. And I mean, Handsome were on today and they were so nice. I'm like, this is good. <laughs> this is so, I'm so lucky. Yeah. This is good. And I have kids and they love it. And, and I love them. And my wife is so good. And I'm like, I fucking, I survived it. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, yeah. I didn't ruin it. You know, I see family members who've ruined it and they're so miserable and they're so resentful and they're so angry. And I'm like, oh, I can actually let go of my shit and hold on to the joy and not have to numb that pain or numb yeah. that high. Yeah. Um, I can just enjoy every moment. And sometimes as everybody, we get busy and the moments pass you by and you forget to look at them. But, you know, you know, it's like with, with your little fella, you, you sit there and you stare at their faces for a while oh. and, and you go... <laughs> You forget that you have to stare at them. You forget that you have to see them because you turn around, you 
rushing back to bloody cotton on to buy them more clothes so they've grown out of the Correct. last lot. You think, when did you grow? Um, and no, and it's so fleeting, hey? It's, it's like so fleeting. We're here You've for only got this pound. Yeah. And that's the thing about being sober as a parent. This is the only time you have with them like this. Yeah. They're only little for the little time and then they're grown up. Yeah. You know, and you want them to still care about you because you cared about them and you raised them. Mm. Oh, God. It's so, uh, it's like being a mom, it's, it is my best and favourite job by far, but it, like, it ruins me. Like, I used to be, well, you know, you've known me. Like, I'm a, pre- I'm a bit of a tough nut in that, like, I'm very resilient. You know, I'm an independent woman. I can stand on my two feet. I had Henry and I just became this ball of mush. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I think about him and I start crying. Like, I have separation sure. anxiety in the morning when I'm at work and I'm like, oh, my baby boy. Like, it's just, he's just changed me in the most, like, beautiful way that I never expected. And I do love that for his whole life, I he I've never consumed an alcoholic beverage. I love that time stamp that I can say mm. I've been sober for all of his life and I'm going to be yeah. sober for all of his life. That's really that's really nice for me because I came to this bit before I had a kid and I had a kid a bit later in life, so it kind of worked out okay. <laughs> yeah, you're doing good, kid. Thank you so much, mate. I just, I really appreciate you and thank you for sharing your story and for making me cry. Oh, I didn't mean to make you cry, no, but I thank was... you for making me laugh and, 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 you know, I just, I love connecting with you again and I love what you do and keep doing it. Thanks, I will. That's a promise. You got it. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.